You are listening to Truth, a six-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. This series looks at the book of Titus to explain how truth is lived out within the church community. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. When the the Titanic set sail in, in 1912, it was thought to be unsinkable because it had this new technology, and basically it was built with these 16 different compartments uh, supposedly watertight compartments that that the theory was that up to four of these could be destroyed or filled up with water and the and this ship would still sail. Well, as we all know that the Titanic hit an iceberg and five of the compartments were filled with water and it sank. And the thought was for, for many years that, uh, that there was a big long gash among all five compartments. But in 1985, when they were able to look at the ship more closely, they found that only one compartment was damaged. And what ended up happening is that one compartment, uh, it, it filled up the other four or five. And, and as I read that, I was thinking, like, you know, we live our lives like the Titanic. We think our lives are sectioned off in all these different compartments, and one doesn't have anything to do with the other. They're all separate. But Paul here in Titus is saying that's not true, that, that the gospel reshapes everything, that the gospel reshapes how you think about retirement, the gospel reshapes how you think about home life, uh, work life, uh, marriage, how you, go, how you go to work and your attitudes that you have. Um, it reshapes how you view authority, how you speak to one another. Because when you become a Christian, you don't just start doing things like in a Christian way. You're not trying to be a better version of yourself. In fact, you're trying to like, well, you're trying to be the opposite of yourself. You're, you are now a new creation, the Bible says. It says, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians Five, that you are a new creation. The old is gone. The old has passed away. Behold, something new has coming. And so when Bible writers like Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are writing to us and how to get along in the world, they're not even, it's not even about how to get along in the world as, in, in terms of how to relate to others as much as it is and how to relate your life unto God. And what I mean by that, it's not like how can I be... The, the question isn't how can I be a better mom? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? What the Bible is saying is like everything now is lived unto relationship with God, which affects your marriage, which affects how you're a father, which affects this and affects that. But it's all connected. It's all together. Paul said this in Galatians 2. He says, though I died to the law, that I might live to God. So his, his whole life is now lived in relationship to God. Our social, our political, our private life is lived unto God, lived with God in view, lived with his authority in view, and living for his good reputation, that others might know him and find mercy through him. So Paul, in the beginning of this chapter, which was just read to us, he says, so in light of the gospel, remind them, let's see this first up, remind them, remind, to, re, to be reminded of something is a very, very important Bible word. Um, it's, remind is mentioned in the Bible uh, 231 times. And it's not the stuff that we don't know that we need to come and learn. That, that's what's holding us back. What, what really holds us back in our life into, unto God isn't what we don't know. It's what we already know that we need to be reminded of. And so he's, this isn't like new teaching. He's saying remind them to be submissive. That word submissive is a military word. It's a, word, it's a word that means to be subject to or to rank yourself underneath, to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient for every good work. And the reason uh, why he's mentioning this too, because Crete was under the, the Roman colony. They were, um, 
They were restless, uh, restless, I should say, under this Roman yoke, this leadership. And there's insurrections and riots and protests were very common on this island. In fact, Paul hinted at this insubordination in verses 1, this insubordinate spirit in verses 1, uh, excuse me, in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And he tells them to be, hey, look, you're not shedding light on Christ. You need to be submissive and obey the government, not unconditional allegiance, but you need to obey the rules to observe the laws whether you agree with them or not. Now, why would we do this? Well, like I said, Paul, this is a, Paul's giving them a reminder. He's mentioned this many other times. He mentioned to the Ephesians this in Ephesians 5, 21. He says, submit to one another, what's that say? Out of reverence for Christ. The reason why that you and I should submit to each other, in fact, and that's a part, we're, we're to live yielded lives as Christians. Jesus himself lived a yielded life he was, it said that he only did what he saw the Father doing. And because he was yielded to the Father, he lived, he lived a yielded life to other people, reflecting on who God is. Not, and so we are to live submitted lives to one another out of reverence for Christ. Peter specifically mentions the government in 1 Peter 2.13. He says, be subject to that same Greek word, which means uh, to submit to every human institution for the Lord's sake. So we, we submit to... to government for the Lord's sake. We drive the speed limit for the Lord's sake. We obey that dumb law the city passed, not because it's a great law. We do it for the Lord's sake. We're meant to shine light on the gospel. We're like, well, hey, I'm an American. I've got rights and I've got free. Well, Paul was a free man too. This is how he thought about his freedom. He says, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a slave to all. I'm free from all, but I've made myself. Now, why would he do that? Well, he would do that for the Lord's sake. Because he's living a life trying to reflect on who Christ is. But it's not enough for Paul that we be law-abiding. It says that we are to be public-spirited. We are to be eager to do every good work. We are to seek the welfare of our city. So to be a Christ follower in St. Louis and Kirkwood and Washington Lake, to be a Christ follower, we should seek to obey the the federal, state, and, and the city governments. We should seek to be a good citizen that way through our obedience, but we should also seek to be a good citizen by jumping into what the public is doing and bless the public when the public is meant to be blessed. And we're trying to do that in all of our locations. That's why we organize around this. Our community groups are organized into hubs, and they seek to bless the, the different neighborhoods that they're in. Um, here in the city, they're, this summer, they're doing a summer camp to, to bless the schools in St. Louis City. You can get in on that if you want. In Kirkwood, uh, they're, they're seeking to bless this neighborhood in Meacham Park, um, and they're giving away scholarships and going in and, and cleaning up the area and, and, and putting on uh, civic-minded events to, to be public-spirited. In Washington, they get behind the harvest table, which seeks to feed people uh, who do not have food to eat. Down at the lake, um, they're ministering and serving women who are victims of the sex trade industry. They're seeking to be public-minded, to, to, to work for the common good. That's how we represent Christ. We obey the government. We do what the government says, unless it, it, it directly goes against what God tells us to do. In Acts 5.29, Peter says, hey, we're not going to, should we obey man or should we obey, obey God? That doesn't happen a whole lot in our country. It happens in other countries a lot more. So for the most sake, for the most sake we, we obey what our government says to do. We be good citizens that way, and we also seek the welfare 
But then he's going to challenge or speak. In, in Titus 3, 2, he says this. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy. Here's a key word. All people. Now, I read this week that every 60 seconds, there are 500,000 comments on Facebook. Every day, there are 30 billion um, unique information shared on all social media platforms. Let me ask you a question. How many comments on Facebook would there be if no one spoke evil of anyone? And there, was, and there was no quarreling. And everybody was gentle. And just in case we missed anyone, perfect courtesy was to all people. If everybody on Facebook obeyed this verse, I would sell Facebook stock. I would like not... Because there would be like five people on Facebook. <laughs> Paul's going to say, look, it's, it's not just how you... It's not just obeying the rulers and people in your life. It's not just working for the good, but actually he's going to go for our speak to be, to, to show, to speak evil of no one toward all people. This would include one Donald J. Trump. He, he, would, be, he would be in the all category. Does it mean you have to like him? Doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Doesn't mean you have to respect them. Doesn't mean that you have to vote for them. But this is what it does mean. Doesn't mean you have to honor him. Peter said this. Be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it be emperor or supreme or of governors as sent by him. Honor everyone. So we honor everyone. So that everyone is, is every single person. And in case we... He, in case... In case you might have missed it, he ends with honor of the emperor, which was Nero at the time, who used to take, uh, take um, Christians, dip them in wax, and put, set them on fire as candles at night. Honor Nero. You don't have to like the politicians. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to respect them. You do have to honor them. Well, I'm an American. I get to say whatever I want to say. Well, your allegiance is first and foremost to Christ. If you're a Christian here, and everyone is, if you're a Christian here, you're for, your allegiance is first to Christ. Why would, you, why would you do this? Well, you would do it for the Lord's sake. I read a fascinating article just to capture the perspective of our, of our culture. Because what our, in our culture, because I get it, the absent... To, the person that t- to, to say you like this politician means to totally trash this politician. If you, so if you don't trash the other politician, it means that you like the other politician, oddly enough. So I read this article that, that, that Jimmy, it's about Jimmy, the late night television, and Jimmy Fallon's ratings have gone down because he's apolitical. He makes jokes about Trump, but he won't attack him. Stephen Colbert has made it his show in almost every joke about attacking Trump, and his ratings are going up. That's, that's the culture that we're in. That, that's the cult. And it's not about, I'm not making a political statement here, by the way. All I'm saying, this is fill in the blank, whatever politician you want to put in there. But it's, it's increasing now more than ever, is that to attack, 
to tack, to tack. Now, does that, does that mean that you have to like the president? Does that mean you have to agree with the president? Does that mean you have to respect the president? Does that mean you have to vote? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to honor him, though, with what you say. Why would we do this? We would do it for the Lord's sake. Trump or whatever politician. I mean, this is a message we should preach every four years, by the way, because it it flip-flops, I know that. So this is not only one person. In fact, I preached this last summer. You might have remembered that back when we all thought Hillary was going to win. It's funny, just as a side note, I, I tweeted out my message that I preached last summer from First Peter, the night before the election, and I got all these retweets and likes about it. And then the next morning, I got a completely new group of people who, tweeted, who retweeted. So I could tell who voted for who by when, they, by when they retreated that comment. So, but your secret's safe with me and every other person who follows me. The, we, don't, we don't show this honor because they deserve it. We show this honor because Christ deserves it. You, show, you, you, you follow the speed limit, not because you think you should, but be, for the Lord's sake. You don't honor people because you think they deserve it. You do it for the Lord's sake. And by the way, when you and I became Christians, guess what we gave up on? We gave up on being treated as we deserve. That's a good thing. You see, because we deserve the justice and the wrath of God, but we got the mercy of God. And what, and what we do now, as Christ, those who have received the mercy of God, no longer give other people the justice of God, but give them the mercy of God. So here's the thing. When you, when you seek to honor, especially putting away anything that's wicked or evil or wrong to say about someone, I mean, that's... But when you seek to honor someone that you disagree with, that you don't like, that, that you wouldn't, especially when you, when you speak that way about them, it, I mean, it makes the, the light of Jesus just shine that much more brighter because you're, you're doing this unto Christ. And then he addresses how we, how we should talk to other people. He says in verse 9, he says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So what he's saying is there, there are debates in the church that are worth it, and there's some that aren't. Like, there are debates like that get us distracted. So he's saying, hey, you need to make the gospel the main thing. You need to make Jesus the main thing. Major on the majors, don't, minor, don't major on the minors. So what would that be? Well, like having these divisions and quarrels about the end times or minor points of theology... You know, you like this kind of theology or this kind of theology or worship style or when communion happens or when it doesn't and on and on. Just all these little things or here's my preference or this is what I like and this is what's convenient for me and this is what I want in a church. And this is Paul's like, we, we've got to end that conversation because those of you who are Christian, those of us who are Christian know how this is going to end. Your life is going to end with you standing before Jesus. And he's going to ask you one question. He's going to ask you, what did you do with your one and only life? How did you leverage your one and only life so that other people could know me? How did you invest your time, your money, your talents? How did you invest that so people could know me? Um, 
Jesus told many parables. He says, I gave one person one talent, two talent, five talents. And then he says, the kingdom of God's like a man who gave away these talents. And then he went, he left for a while, i.e. he died and ascended. Then he came back, second coming. What'd you do? Well, I took your five talents and I made a five. Well done. I took your talents and made a two. Well done. I hid my talents. I didn't do anything with it. Not good. This is all that matters. Ephesians 2.10 says the reason why you and I are still alive is because he has good works for us to walk in. Heaven is an amazing place, way better than earth. Well, if heaven's so amazing, why don't you and I just go to heaven when we become Christians? It's a legitimate question. Here's why. Because he has good works for you to walk in on earth. And when he's done with you walking in those good works, your life will be over. You're alive. If you're a Christ follower, you understand this. You're alive is about leveraging all that you have so that people can come to know him. Shining bright on him. Shine, that, that's what your life is about. When you go to work, your work is not about a paycheck. It's just a big setup to, to show people and demonstrate what Christ is like. The where you live, it doesn't really matter. You're there not to have the certain house that you want or the neighborhood you want. You're there just to, to, to shine Christ bright. And on and on and on it goes. Why in the world would we make church about worship style? when it isn't going to matter. You know what Paul says? Paul says, and I want to quote him, he says, it's foolish, it's unprofitable, and it's worthless. We need to change the conversation. And then Paul gets a little stern. He says, as for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. What comes out of our mouth is massively important. Massively important. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You have never said a neutral word in your entire life. It either was spoken and brought life, or it was spoken and it brought death. See, when God created the world, he didn't think the world into existence. He didn't even use this powerful right arm that we hear so much about to create the world. He spoke the world into existence. Words are massively important. In fact, they have disproportionate power. You can read this later in James 3, 3 through 5. He compares the tongue to small things that control big things. So your tongue is just a small little speaking apparatus that has the power for life and death. So he says, James says, your tongue is like a bridle for a horse. It's just a small little apparatus, but it controls a two or three thousand pound animal. Your tongue is like a rudder that's small compared to how big the ship is, but it controls where the ship goes. Your tongue is like a little spark of fire that sets a forest ablaze. Your tongue has disproportionate power. So when you hear the Bible speak sternly, I mean, that seems pretty stern. Warn them once, warn them twice, three, three strikes you're out. Person's warped, self-condemned you think that that is over the top you it's just because we don't know how powerful our tongue is 
Our tongue can bring life or it can bring death. It has a disproportionate amount of power. So Paul is saying, like, hey, I want to remind you of some things. In case you forgot how this all works out, let me remind you of some things. So we need to be reminded. One of the things is our speech and how we speak, and particularly how damaging divisive language can be, whether it's gossip, slander, slurs, whatever term you want to use. So let me just tell you a little bit. Let me go through the, the Bible just a little bit to tell you how what we say, divisive language, how it affects God, how it affects you, those who say it, and how it affects the people around us. Uh, number one, God finds this language detestable. If you've ever like sat around, scratch your head, and like, I wonder what God finds detestable. There's actually a list in the Bible. It's in Proverbs 6. He says this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Three of the seven had to do with the tongue. That last one's one I want you to see, though. Is someone who stirs up dissension. Anyone who causes brother to choose between brother, uh, choose sister between sister. Any kind of language that would do that. So he finds that detestable. Second thing, it grieves him. It grieves God. Uh, in Ephesians 4, Paul is it's in a section where Paul's talking about put off all falsehood, get rid of, uh, he calls it corruptible speech, slander, gossip, all that. He says, get rid of that. And then he says, and this is why he says it. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. What he's saying there, and this is the great truth of the Christian life, is that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and, and you are sealed. It's like a deposit. It's like a down payment on a house. It's like, it's like he, gives you, uh, he gives you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. It's like, yes, this, you're going to experience this life way more in, in the life to come. But he gives us the Holy Spirit the nanosecond we become a Christian. We become a Christian, life, the Spirit of God, to convict us, to guide us, direct us. And here's the best part uh, about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. It says that the Spirit will never, ever, 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 ever leave us. God is always, the moment he's with you, he's with you always. He will never, ever leave you. He will never leave you. The Holy Spirit is always, always with you. And when we speak, when we use that kind of language, when we speak negatively about someone, when we slander someone, when we gossip about someone, it says it grieves. That word, Greek word lupeo means to wound, to injure or to wound. So we wound the Holy Spirit of God. So every time that we lash out at someone else, the Holy Spirit feels that, feels the wound of your words every time. Every time. Every time. You think you're talking to someone else, but remember, your life is in, in this big, it's not all these different compartments. It's all together. When you lash out at someone else, you're lashing out. And the, wound, you, and the wounding of the Holy Spirit happens. You wound the Holy Spirit every single time. Now, here's the thing. When you and I are getting a mouthful from someone, what do we want to do? What? Get them back. Leave? Is leave an option? Holy Spirit doesn't have that option. He will never, ever, 
ever, ever, ever, ever, ever leave you. Whether you're faithful, he will always be faithful. And he's like stuck inside of you. If you think of it that way. You're wounding. You're wounding him over and over again. And he won't leave. It wounds the Holy Spirit of God. When you lash out at another brother or sister. So that's how it affects God. How does it affect you? Well... One, you'll be judged for everything that you say. Well, that seems kind of over the top. Power of life and death are in the tongue. The tongue has a disproportionate amount of power. You'll be judged for everything you say. Jesus says in Matthew 12, But I tell you that men and women will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Number two, it turns you into a fool. Proverbs 18.2 says, Only a fool delights in airing his own opinion. You know, so, you know with politicians, when they want to promote themselves, we know this, they, they trash the other person. And it seems like that's getting worse because it is. Do you know why it's getting worse? Because it works. When, when I trash the other person, it makes me look good. That's what politicians do. And we don't like it, except that we do the same thing with each other. So what, what we'll do is we'll push this person down. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it doesn't seem as obvious until you... Like, hey, let's go shoot hoops with Jimmy. I don't really like Jimmy. He's kind of full of himself. Wound. Divisive language. You got to choose me or Jimmy. Which one are you going to choose? Turns you into a fool eventually. It, it wins. I may win that person and push him away from Jimmy and win them to me short term. But eventually, this person's going to say, you know what? They talk about Jimmy this way. They talk about Susie this way. They talk about Bobby this way. I wonder if they talk about me this way. And the answer to that, if you haven't figured this out, is they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Proverbs twenty nineteen says this, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. It's just wisdom. You hear someone talking bad about someone else, I'm telling you, they're talking bad about you. So it turns you into a fool if you talk that way. Secondly, it disconnects you from God's presence. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? This is Psalm 15, by the way. He who walks is blameless, and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, and casts no slur on his fellow men, who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord. This is insightful. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Here's the thing. Because a lot of times when you're talking about gossip and slander and slur is like somebody else does something that you don't like or even they've hurt you or injured you. And to hold in that piece of slander, slur, or gossip, it actually does hurt. I've been spoken poorly of multiple occasions. But, and there are times 
uh, where I just knew that they weren't, they were, I knew they were speaking badly about me and I, I wanted so bad to just speak badly about them and to not do that hurt. It hurt to hold it in, to keep that oath even when it hurts. But to, to give in to that temptation is not just wrong. It disconnects you from God's presence. I said earlier, God will, God will never leave you or forsake you. But just like any relationship, there's some relationships you're still friends, but you feel distance. You're still married, but you feel distance. You have those ebbs and flows. And there are times when you, a person who slanders and gossips often feels that distance from God. And they back away. They back away from God. They back away from the community. It affects, God affects you. This is how it affects others. It separates friends and destroys community. I mean, by nature, divisive language, it divides. Proverbs 16 says, a perverse man stirs up dissension. So anyone who's just like, so that word warped, that's where Paul gets this word warped, perverse, not right, stirs up division, dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. So you and I, so when we, Join together. See, this is what a church is. A church is a, is, a, is a group of people who've come together seeking to love each other the way God has loved us. Are you tracking with that? So this is what it means. That when you come to a church, you're not just going to church because, uh, hopefully not, that this is, oh, this is convenient for me. And this is like, you know, I like great chairs, you know, like whatever it is. Like, you, you come here, the, what you, what the, big idea, what, the big idea of what you see in the Bible is that you're seeking to love out. You're, you're seeking to put into practice the love that God has shown you with other people. So God has decided to unconditionally love you and show you mercy and not justice. And you're seeking to, to unconditionally love other people like you would brothers and sisters. That's why it's like we call it, if you've been around a religious setting, sometimes, hey, brother, hey, sister. Well, that, well it's, it has good meaning to it. It's meant to be family. Sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so. That's good because that's what we're meant to be. We're meant to the fatherly love, the unconditional love of God that showed us mercy and not justice. We're seeking. to. We're seeking. We don't do this well. We're seeking to love each other the way God has loved us. We're seeking to be vulnerable. We're seeking to be honest. We're seeking to share struggles and sins. But someone who comes in and takes that information... And like begins to use it against each other and cast people in a negative light. And there's all these like, it becomes high school all over again. It's like, no, we can't do that. We got to understand, no, this is who God is. This is who we are. And it destroys the community. Galatians 5.15 just says it bluntly. It says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out that you will not be destroyed by each other. The Greek word... For the devil, Diablo, means slanderer. When they were trying to figure out, who do we call this being that is opposed to all that God does and tries to deceive everyone and pull everyone from God and take him with them down into hell, what do we call this person? I know, let's call him the slanderer. The accuser of the brethren. The one who points and picks out faults in everyone. Judgment, the father of lies, the prosecutor. When you slander, when you seek to wound, 
with your word, when you seek to cast negative light on someone. I mean, it's just like, it's not just that it's not godly, but you are, you are doing the work of Satan. And I don't say that in a coy way. I don't say that in a flippant way. I say that in a sober way. Life and death are in our words. Your tongue has a disproportionate power. You can, you can use your tongue to build up life, to breathe life in people, or you can use it to tear people down. Divisive speech is relational murder. Jesus said, you've heard it said, it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment, but I say to everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave the gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I said already, but just to repeat this. This vertical relationship that we have with God is not just some compartment of our life. It, you, your relationships with other people are not some other compartment of your life. John says in his epistle, how can you say I love God who you, I don't see, but I hate my brother who I do see? You're, you're thinking your life is all these different compartments, and it's not. It's all connected. So God's even saying, you, you think that you can have, you're, you're trying to connect with me. You're, you know, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're coming to worship services, trying to connect with me, and this ain't happening. You know why this ain't happening? Because you are angry at your brother. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go directly to the person and make it right. Because this doesn't mean a thing if you've got hate in your heart toward your brother. You're spewing out negative things for your brother. And if you know someone who's like that, if you want to help them, you can tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, let's go talk to this person. It is disconnecting them from the presence of God. And it is relational murder. Finally, it's the exact opposite of what God wants to do in the church. You see, the Holy Spirit of God and the work of the gospel, that is the blood of Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. The gospel is wanting to pull us back together. Wanting want us to bring us back together with Christ and wanting to bring us back together with God. The work of sin is by nature, it separates. So because of sin, we were separated from God in an eternal cosmic chasm between us and God because of sin. But also this chasm between us and one another, brother hating brother, the first act of because of sin, the first family, the, another brother kills another brother. It's from, from the very beginning. And whole groups of people hating other groups of people. It's all sin. The work of sin is to separate. The work of God and the gospel and the Holy Spirit is to bring us together. Let me read to you Ephesians 2, 13 to 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off. You were once separated by sin but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. You made us both one and has broken down in his flesh that is on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility, that sin between us by abolishing the law. 
of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man, not multiple mans, one new man in place of the two, so making peace that he may reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. So here's what I'm saying. When you slander, tear down, division, all that kind of stuff, see, the work of God in your life is to bring you together with him, together with other people, to tear down any wall that would separate you and I. Any wall. Slander, division of any kind is reconstructing that wall back up. For any reason. Anything that. So as far as it is with you. Therefore. Be right with everyone. Do your absolute. Work double time. Triple time. Quadruple time. Forgive them seven times. Seven times Jesus. No I say seven times seventy. Four hundred ninety times a day. For the same offense. Forgive the person. Why is this such a big deal? Because it has everything to do with the work of God in your life and the work of God in the community is to bring you together. He, he spilt his blood to tear down this wall. Do not build that wall back up. And here's the thing. We are most tempted, and this is why I have something. We are the most tempted to slander, to slur, to gossip when we feel like somebody has wronged us or injured us we've been hurt. So behind all of that is a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of injury, or even sometimes insecurity about who they are. And like Paul, so Paul in this section, he's giving out, this is the gospel, this is who Jesus is, now live according to that gospel. This is the truth, live according to that truth. And next week, your location pastor is going to uh, conclude this series and take dead aim at at Titus 3, 3 through 8, which is one of the clearest, best pictures of the gospel of salvation in the Bible, I think. If you've got friends that you want to know, that you want to know, that you want them to know about grace and the gospel of salvation, bring them next week. Your location pastor is going to hit the heart of it. But what Paul wants to do, he wants to, he, he has to point us to Jesus because sometimes we look at this stuff, man, this is like hard to walk out. And if you think your life is compartmentalized, you'll never have a shot at this. If you're like, well, this is my relational world, this is my work world, this is my family world, and this is my church world, and this is my God world. No, you've got to see it's all connected. They're all spilling over to each other, and it will sink your boat if you don't pay attention to this. So you have to put your eyes on Jesus, and that's where I want to leave us. This is what it says of, of Jesus in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed. I don't know if you've been oppressed in your life. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Pilate's like, are you not going to say anything? And he didn't say anything. Wrongly accused, unfairly tried. The greatest injustice in the world is an innocent man dying the brutal death that Jesus died. Yet he did not open his mouth except to say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow. 
when you are hurt, when you are afflicted, when you are wrongly accused, when you are wrongly treated, do you want the light of Jesus to shine bright in your relationships? Do you want the light of Jesus to shine bright in your work, in your life, in your neighborhoods? When you are afflicted, do not open your mouth except to say, Father, forgive them. See, when it comes to evangelism and sharing our faith, it's not as intergalactic or whatever, big, you know, it's not this big, huge thing that we get all this energy to go, it's effective evangelism is like in the mundane. How are you treating your friends? How are you treating your boss? How, are you, how do you speak about other people? What's your home life like? How do you raise your kids? By looking at Jesus and the gospel and then seeking to live, you're putting Christ on display. Especially if you've been wrongly treated. He has such an opportunity. If we can look to Jesus, say, Jesus, help me. Help me. How do you do that? I mean, that's what, I mean, the awe and wonder of who Jesus is just comes back to you when you see that example of how he was so maligned. And you know how painful it is to be maligned on a smaller scale. Significant, but smaller. Yet he did not open his mouth yet to say, Father, forgive them.